it was totally by chance and I think that's really sad actually because you know they joked oh don't know you got this far well I do because I worked incredibly hard to to keep up not to get ahead to keep up I've always had to work twice as hard as anyone else just to to get to the same position as you and I always felt that hello and welcome to the myself included podcast the show about covering taboo topics many of us wish were not taboo, myself included. I'm your host, Tiffany Chathawan, and today's episode is the first interview episode of 2021. And my special guest is another gem that I discovered through my counsellor. Her name is Ali Startnell. She is a coach, trainer and author whose mission is to help you live a life by design, getting the results you want. She specialises in time management, productivity and empowering a success mindset very relevant right now. Today's theme is predominantly around dyslexia as well as other taboos from eating disorders, depression to at times your world turning upside down and having to carry on as best you can. If Alice doesn't boost your energy times 10, I don't know what will. Here she is. Hi. Hello. Let me just get myself plugged in. It's always difficult when you first put your zoom up, you're like, don't know what about the lighting. <laughs> I'm liking the, yeah, I'm liking the cheetah shirt. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone wild today. You're wild on a Sunday. Fun, Sunday, why not? <laughs> How are you, lovely? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I see your um, leak problems have now somewhat diminished. <laughs> Bless like, you. Oh, I don't need floorboards, sod it. Just, yeah. You weren't even like meditating the other day or something, or you're doing some sort of like calm time. I'm trying to be zen in it all, yeah. (laughs) Doing my best. Oh, I love it. I was thinking, like, I'd obviously be so excited to speak to you regardless of lockdown, but not seeing many people, I was like, oh, the energy that Alice will bring today will just be the best to chat to you. Um, But yeah, I'll dive straight in with the dyslexia side of things. Ooh, yeah. So, ooh. <laughs> um, like you, you were di- well, like me even, um, you were diagnosed later in life. So did you struggle quite a bit at school when you were, well, it wasn't known? Yeah, and I think looking back at it, I can see the struggle now, but I didn't realise it was struggle at the time. Mm-hmm. So looking back as an adult, diagnosed, knowing like there's nothing wrong with me, it's like, <laughs> oh, it kind of makes sense now. But I think when you're actually living through it, it's quite difficult anyway growing up, I think, you know, <laughs> as a teenager and hormones and you don't know what, what, what you're doing. Um, I was labelled as a naughty kid. So I was right. a troublemaker. And if you look in all my school reports, all of them are like, she has such potential. If only she didn't distract others and wasn't easily distracted. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, of course I was easily distracted because I'm not learning in the same way as maybe a, the kid next to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand what you're saying. I don't. And I was that annoying kid that was always like, why? Why? <laughs> I mean, that's great as a life coach nowadays because I ask why all the time. But so I wasn't a naughty kid, really. I just didn't get what I was doing and had it been explained in a different way. And I remember my parents were saying that. They were like, you're so bizarre. Like, you're clever, but it takes you forever to get something. But once you've got it, you've got it. (laughs) Yes, I always get told that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because my reports are always that she's sociable, she's hardworking. Yes. So mum got a bit bored of just reading like positive comments. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I found at school, apart from my one teacher, maths teacher, his name's Mr. Lahane, he's actually quite renowned in this area. But um, he was the only teacher that, you know, if you if you were a U student or an A student, he would work with you. Whereas I found oh, most I um, teachers, they had, they had to get the Ds to a C so the school looked good. And then like the Bs to an A star so the school looked good. Yes. Um, and I, all, me, me and my brother, I shouldn't really mention that, my brother is the same, um, like me. It's We know the knowledge, like you just said, when we know it, we know it well, same with my mum a little bit. Um, but with exams, we struggled. We preferred coursework. Yeah. I think he took yeah. more coursework classes. Um, and yeah, we always got told from mum, you'd have to work that bit harder. My sister was a bit the same, but she is a bit brighter. Uh, sorry, Aaron. <laughs> so my brother, she's a bit brighter. Like she's not listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, yeah, she was slightly, her grades were slightly better, but she still had to put a lot of work in compared yeah. to some of her friends. But yeah, I think myself and yeah, Tom's my brother, we would get told, you know, just do it a bit more, but then when you get there, you'll get there. But yeah. on reflection, you think, okay, but why do I keep getting told this? And why is every, and when I say, I'm kind of tapping into other areas here, but that would roll out onto drive, learning to drive and part-time jobs and full-time jobs. It was always, okay, learn the coffee again. And once you get it, you'll get it. But why is it taking me so much longer to learn how to do a coffee? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I just think, you know, maybe back then, maybe it's different now with the education system. People are a lot more aware of like dyslexia and it, it doesn't have to hold you back. So mm. I think, you know, I'm going back, what, 20 years ago. Um, mm. it, it, like you say, it was just focus on the A-star kids, focus on the, the, the sort of spectrum, isn't it? Like the, the top end and the lower end. And mm. kind of you forgot, you get forgotten about in the middle. Um, mm. I think it's probably a lot different nowadays. But yeah, you just, oh, just label it as a naughty kid. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I got, yeah. got, got put in so many detentions and it's like that didn't actually help me <laughs> funny enough <laughs> no and it's quite staggering I did look into dyslexia beforehand with them particularly when I was diagnosed and there's a horrific um what's the word statistic yeah that obviously the likes of Richard Branson there's like I don't know 35 percent or something there's it's not too bad but percentage of dyslexic people are big entrepreneurs you, you know mm. probably know some of the list yeah. there's Orlando Bloom etc uh, all like just successful people but there was also a really staggering statistic that I don't know 50 percent of people end up in prison and because yeah. I think they find school hard perhaps they get into a gang and then so on the pathway leads yeah. that way yeah. but they could be a Richard Branson or yeah. Orlando Bloom but sadly because like you said they no one's seen that learning style yeah. they've just gone for the sadly easier route and gone okay i'll get in that gang just for example yeah, naughty kids yeah yeah different pathway um so that's quite interesting as well yeah, definitely. And then you said, um, I think we were just exchanging online, that, and I'm intrigued by this because I, I don't know if bullied is the right word, and I've, I've been intrigued to see what you, why you said the angle, but you said about being bullied in the corporate world, perhaps because of it, mm. uh, and I've definitely felt excluded and belittled. So, yeah, I'd love to know what you mean by that. Yeah, I think for me it's because I've always had this sense of not fitting in ever since mm -hmm. I was younger and I think when, you, when you're really really young you don't notice it that's why you run around naked in public you don't care <laughs> but then when you start getting a sense of like self it's just you Alice <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was the other day. Um, and when you start becoming aware and self-conscious and you develop all these insecurities and stuff, and like, like any teenager, you want to fit in. You want to be in mm. with the crowd. You want to just be normal, whatever that is. And that's, that's hard anyway, I think, as a teenage girl. I had that in the fact that I felt different because of my dyslexia and I didn't fit in. And I was like really clever. I'm an a, I was an A-star student. 
but wow. also yeah. really not clever. Like my friends would say, you can wire a plug, but you can't plug it in. Cause I would be ace, ace in school, you know, ace our student, but then I'd be like, why? I don't understand. And that was annoyed people. Cause they're like, Oh, shut up. You do know you're, you're just playing, like you're just right. playing on it because you're clever. So I felt really torn. Like I didn't fit. I didn't fit in with clever kids, but I also was labeled this naughty kid, but I wasn't because obviously I was smashing it. Um, but also because I'm half Japanese and 20 odd years ago, there wasn't so much of a mix, not especially not the town that I was from, yeah. um, not Oriental to sort of British mix. So I look different as well. So that was another thing where I was like, I just want to be normal. I just want to fit <laughs> in. I just want to look. And I, and then that obviously just threw a whole nother kind of set of problems in for me. So I've always had this sense of, do I belong? Why am I different? Which I think plays on your mind a lot as a kid. So mm. then getting into the corporate world, again, I felt like I didn't fit in. And mm. I, my dad always used to say to me, he's like, you're never going to get anywhere with that accent. Like you've got to sort it out. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like I had to put posh voice on. Um, right. And I felt like I had to become someone I wasn't because I looked quite young, quite girly. It would, that would, that would, attract, um, that would attract attract unwanted comments mm-hmm. um so then I felt I had to dumb that down a little bit so I'd wear a lot of greys um I'm currently oh, wearing yeah. a leopard print if anyone's wondering so <laughs> I, I would wear a lot of greys and try to blend in I suppose so it, I suppose it's not so much outright bullying nobody ever screamed at me or openly bullied me but it was that sense of I don't fit in here and I'm changing everything about me to try and fit in and it's Mm. exhausting and even though I'm doing that I'm still not fitting in but again a bit like the straight A star student at school but also that irritating kid that's always asking why and doesn't get it I've done really well in my corporate career I flew up the ladder but at the same time always had that burning inside of me that I don't belong here and I don't fit in and I feel like a salmon swimming upstream and everyone mm. else is saying one thing in a meeting that it's just me putting my hand up against them. Why? And it, it, so I don't think it's so much as, as direct bullying, but kind of like mm. mental underlying in my head, I don't belong type bullying myself maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you said about putting on the posh voice because also I find with people... <laughs> Because <laughs> um, so I'm from Luton, it's very luxurious there, you may know. Um, <laughs> and people sometimes go, oh my God, I would never think that because I've lived uh, in more in the Bedford area for, for most of my life. And yeah, they go, you're from Luton, like, I'd never think that. And one minute I'll swear and I'll be quite low key or, you know, laid back. And then other times, you know, I'll put my work voice on. But I think yeah, we all have, voice. Yeah. Yeah, we all have like an interview president, you know, with your grandparents, we all change a bit. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah, the phone voice. Yeah, and I just think people sort of sometimes I think they put you in a in a bracket, which you know we all do. We all judge. We say right, you're shy, you're this, you're that. But it's interesting how the shock. Or if I say that I used to be an army cadet, it's like you, and it's like we're not just you know we're not just girly girls. We're not just you know that's quite interesting. And um, and yeah, I know what you mean about. Oh, what did you say a minute ago? But yeah, just having sort of comments and underlying sort of doubt. Yeah, Yeah, just like not fitting in. And when I started my corporate career, I was, what, 24, you know, looking girly. I look younger than I was anyway, so I probably looked like I was about 19. Um, I love pink. So I just did not fit into the sea of white 
middle-class, middle-aged men wearing grey suits around the boardroom, and then I would, like, swat in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, I've just stuck out even even more like a silver. And funny enough, you just mentioned the army cadet thing, because I did OTC at uni, and, again, yeah. my, my label, we got caught, oh, what was it? I'm like... Oh, so it had something to do with Barbie or plastic or something like that because obviously right. we just didn't look army-ish. <laughs> yeah, and I saw you had that so, qualification. Yeah, yeah, and I can recall so many comments I've had. It's interesting because I, am I right in thinking you work more so with women with the coaching? Yeah, and that's not a deliberate choice. I've never kind no, of no. badged myself, but yeah, it seems to be um, entrepreneurial business women that I seem to be attracting. Yeah. Yeah, because I've had in the corporate world, I tend to work with more men as, as sort of bosses and, and then that, if you know what I mean. So I've had more belittling comments from them. I had one guy say I look like a rabbit. Is it deer in a headlight? Is it, yeah, is, is yeah. Things like that. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I get told I've got a poke face and sometimes I get told they can read exactly what I'm saying. If I, if I don't know what they're saying, like you were saying about school, then it's pretty damn clear. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but then he sort of said that during the headlight, but then he didn't help me. And I actually left that job after four months in my probation period because I just sensed that he was not on my side. Mm. Uh, I, I've had a bad egg in the past in terms of you know red flags at a corporate job, yeah. so I left. Um, and he just, he did things like we, um, I always remember this, he went out as a staff group, like a dinner, and I turned up on time because that's a big deal to me. I always turn up on time or early because out of respect you do it. Yeah. That's just me. Um, and I, yeah, I turned up on time, a few others are there. And, and then he turned up a bit later, that was him. And he was like, oh, what a surprise, Tiffany's on time. And he just started as well. I wasn't long started. And I just thought, I'm in your team. That's a positive thing. And <laughs> you've made it a negative. So it's just things like that. And then why I asked about the women comment is that I've had a lot of women in sort of college and in my, in my past part-time job so I had a assistant manager at like a pub job, pub job who um it took me quite a while to get a driving license and I'll be honest it's just an automatic one because I struggled so much I didn't go straight to automatic but I did the manual yeah. struggled went automatic and I finally passed and all she could say was seriously Tiff because I got it took so long and, and yeah. the automatic they were great when I got the HND at college when I when I signed up but I just thought wow thanks for just squishing what took so long yeah and then she, not that it matters, but, you know, we all have different paths and she went on and did travelling and stuff. And I think, you know, well, you know, why can't I do my thing in my way? Yeah. Uh, why has it got to be like a certain path sort of thing? Um, and I did have a college student who wouldn't put my name on our combined project because I didn't understand the software so well. And because, again, nobody was really there to support me. I, I couldn't give as much as I wished I could. But then at the next year, it's only two year course, I came out with three awards. Wow. So I just think, but, but yeah. you know, if you think about it, I'm 27 and I remember those comments to this day. And mm. no, maybe I should, maybe I should just let go. But I, I don't know about you, but when I was at school, when I was at, at a job, if I have a new sort of uh, remark, I replay all the existing remarks yeah. that I've had. It triggers it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You doubt sure. yourself. And yeah. you know all the positives, don't you? But... Yeah, it apparently it takes seven positive comments to in, to, to counteract a negative. Wow. So you, so seven people today could say how gorgeous you look mm. and oh I love your outfit and your hair and whatever. And one person makes a slight non-positive comment and you'll hang on to that because it takes yeah. seven. And, that, and I there's a bit of research that I've I heard and I thought yeah I can believe that I can really mm -hmm. take that on, on board and I think 
ask you what you're just saying there about the school. I'm 34 now, and I can remember my careers advisor at 17. That's like half my life ago. I was like, get over it, Alice. But I can remember my careers advisor, Mrs. Curtis, saying to me, oh, Oh, uni? No, don't think about going to uni, dear. You're not very academic, are you? Think about something more vocational. And I really wanted to go to uni because none in my, no one in both sides of my family had ever been. So it was a real, mm. like, achievement for me to go to uni. I, I really wanted to go. Um, and she just, like you say, poo-pooed all over that. Yeah. <laughs> Someone just totally poo-poos over your ambition or your goal or, hey, I'm doing it this way. But that that still sticks into to my head, that, that whole fear of... Oh, I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm dyslexic. I'm not academic. And, you know, that mm. kind of, it's taken a lot to kind of get over that. I think that's so detrimental. Like, I always forget her name, even though I love the holiday. But you know the main actress in Titanic? Kate Winslet. She got told, apparently, from a drama teacher that unless you go for fat roles, you're not going to be yeah. successful. That showed her. Dolly Parton got told that she wasn't going to amount to anything. And yeah. it's always the ones that are pretty damn big yeah. that got told something. But I just, I can't, you know, don't get me wrong. You might want to guide somebody, even as a parent. Yeah. But the thing, the things I hear from teachers and stuff, it, you know, you just think that's, that's so, yeah. yeah, just detrimental to their future. And I do think a lot of people probably go down a certain path say not, not this is wrong but say they just get a, a Sainsbury's job because they probably got told you yeah you're not going to amount to anything and yeah. that's such a shame yeah. over the talent that they hold yeah um absolutely. that's interesting uh, okay and one thing I did want to ask you because obviously I think like any, any mental health or you know disorder people think that it's one yeah one way for everyone one size fits all but so I don't have the jumbled letters. I just struggle with the processing and the information and the word retrieval. Is that what, what sort of bits do you struggle with? Definitely jumbled letters. Funny right, enough, okay. I was redoing some, um, rewriting some of my Japanese. I'm learning Japanese at the moment. I was rewriting some of the notes that I've made on a video I was watching the other day. And I reread the notes and was like, it was in English, and I was like, what does that say? <laughs> like, in my writing, and it does not make sense. It's jumbled letters, definitely, right. for sure. Um, numbers as well. You might as well be talking to me in a foreign language when it comes to numbers. I just don't compute numbers, so mm. I have to really translate it. If someone says, for example, seven, I'm like, seven, what does that look like? Seven, right, okay. It, it really takes me a while. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much about the jumbled letters, not very good at spatial awareness um okay. and the, the was in like um your bearings like knowing where to like directions or directions are fine i can navigate right. i'm like a homing pigeon like drop me right. in and i'll make my way home but i i am covered in bruises all the time because i right. just can't get myself through a You're door wet. And I'm okay. five foot three and very, like, I'm quite petite and quite small. So it's not like I'm too big to fit through the door frame. And I've <laughs> yeah, lived in this house for four years. So I know exactly where the door frame is, but I'm constantly bumping into walls, door frames, tripping up stuff. I've, I've got no spatial awareness. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's good job I am only five foot three. Because if I was any bigger, it would be a disaster. But <laughs> yeah, so my kind of dyslexia plays into that. And when you said about the notes as well, because, yeah, I, I was talking about the bigger things like the, the jungle letters, but I don't think people understand as well the smaller tasks and the ripple effect in the sense of, yeah, my notes, I sort of panic, particularly in a team meeting, and they're just absolutely a mess. Yeah. Or even like I <laughs> I asked my other half yesterday and I've asked, my, yeah, I've, yesterday my other half wrote the address on a letter because I kept making a fibre like an S and I was like, oh, I can't keep wasting all these envelopes. <laughs> 
literally. <laughs> and then when I went to New York, I asked my friend Laura to write down my address on the tag because I thought we're going to New York. I don't want to exactly lose that. And it's my dress. It's got to be pretty clear. And yeah, I just there's, there's so many confidence knocks in. You just want to apply for a passport. You just want to do something small. And yeah. you think my writing's terrible or... Yeah something really minor you know yeah I've definitely had to ask friends family etc for the most like ridiculous of tasks like can you write on my envelope yeah yeah it's just insane and then it's almost like once you know because we've heard handwriting is once it sounds awful once it's poor it's poor it's sort of like natural isn't it and I think when you get so stressed about doing it right particularly things yeah like uh, passport sort of applications because it's so like bold black letters you must tick this box it can't be out the box all of that I think it adds even more stress to yeah. people not doing that stuff anyway let alone with oh, that God, on top yeah application forms are a dyslexic nightmare <laughs> yeah look at my surname Alice Trithowen <laughs> like for God's sake um, but yeah that's okay so you're more the jumble that's interesting because so I joined one of your uh, coaching programs Success Box the other day because I saw that you it's a book club and you were talking about Untamed by Glennon mm, Doyle yeah. which is just the best book ever um, so it's interesting that so yeah, you're an A-star student, but okay, a bit of a naughty one. Um, <laughs> at, well, supposedly. And you I have- I was. <laughs> you are, yeah, you are. Um, but then you have the jumbled letters, but then you're a coach, which you, you know is a lot of reading and entrepreneurship and all of that. And you deliver that and you instill confidence in others. So yeah, how do you find reading? Reading for me has been a love-hate relationship because mm. of the dyslexia. So because of the dyslexia, I struggle to read and write. And when I did finally get diagnosed at what, 21 on my third year at uni, I got told I had the reading, writing, and arithmetic IQ of 77, mm-hmm. which the average is 100. Mm-hmm. And anything under 70 is meant to be sort of, you need extra sort of help and, and stuff. And um, so that was quite a shock, quite a blow, because I was like, what? <laughs> and in one, one point, it was, oh that's reassuring like there's nothing wrong with me this is what it is it's dyslexia but then on the other hand it was like how can I have an IQ of 77 but be an A-star student it it just confused me even more but like you say everyone has it in their own way don't they like for for you it may be x and for me it's y so reading has always been I hated reading I remember in Latin classes once we had to read along and she did it so it's like say for example Tiffany you'd be reading and then she'd write Tiffany stop Alice start so basically she she was doing it to make you pay attention I was paying attention I just can't read not Um. out loud so I would always mess it up and then have to go stand in the corner (laughs) like and bear in mind, I was like 16. Like, that's mm. embarrassing. So that obviously knocked my confidence even more because I just couldn't read. Um, and then, so obviously I hated books. I don't, don't ask me why I took English literature on as an A-level. I hate yeah. reading. Um, and that's then amazing. it just kind of perpetuated it. It just made it worse because obviously next time I got told to read out loud, I panicked and hated books. But then at the same time, I'm going through my eating disorder and my um, recovery and my depression and stuff at this, this point. My dad was giving me a lot of personal development books. Mm. So the, the, the novels, the Jane Austens, all that that I had to do for, for A-level, like out. But then the personal development books started coming in. So books like The Secret, Covey, so have it's a highly successful people. And then I was like, actually, this is a 
bite size like generally personal development books are easier to read because the way they're, they're condensed down it's not like mm-hmm. chapter 20 they're bringing in a character from chapter one and you're like wow where did that come from <laughs> like it, it's it's easy to read so true. yeah and you're not reading it for the like oh the alliteration and all that you're reading it for the content the learning so even if you skim it and only get 50 percent of the understanding you're still going to take something from the book so mm. the personal development book started to change my life because i was like i get this and this is mm-hmm. resonating with me and i can apply this and i started to learn so much and understand how the brain works and all these things i would never have done at school because it typically doesn't fall into that academic of classroom setting but now mm. I, I kind of get a lot of stuff that i never would never have got at school through personal development books but then the more i did the personal development the more confident i got so they kind of had then a positive spiral rather than a negative spiral down so mm. then when it came to switching from corporate to coaching it for me just as well setting up success box a personal development book club it was like it felt such a good thing to do because mm. i get what it's like not to like reading i get what it's like to be a slow reader because that's yeah. me but personal development books changed my life which is why i'm so passionate now about reading i probably spend like an hour a day reading yeah i completely relate to that because yeah if it's something that's not as in of an interest or it's not broken down or it's you know it's much smaller text i struggle far more yeah if it's like a blog or it's bigger text or yeah it tends to be personal development i couldn't put untamed down really because of the way it just translated yeah yeah whereas everything else it irritates my eyes spot on about the character like if it says i don't know ron and harry from harry potter have a dog called steve i think steve's the friend rather than ron and harry (laughs) and you know it's just so hard and and then i've got these friends my friends and my sister can read a book in a day um i follow loads of coaches like yourself that do like you know seven books a week and i'm just like i find that hard not not to mention i don't know about you but um yeah i'm all about personal development particularly like you know doing training courses but i am quite put off doing like the child institute of marketing or just things like that apprenticeship because it's not that i'm not keen or any of that it's just yeah, you don't, will you get that one-on-one react, uh, interaction with the tutor? Is it, you know, and, and just also, I, I think because we are, apparently take about five times longer to, to take information in, which I mm. wouldn't be surprised, I think we do get quite drained a lot quicker with things like work and just conversations. So to finish work and then go do a college course for three hours, taking yeah. in all this stuff, and then it's the exam side. Like, I just feel like exams are there, but like interviews to trick you to answer it a specific way. So it's yeah. not that I don't want to grow, I don't want to be certified, and I don't want to learn. It's not that. It's mm. just the way that it's done doesn't suit my learning style. And yeah. that I find that really hard. Yeah, and I think that's why my love affair of personal development books grew. It's because there was no test at the end, and I could do it in my own time. And yes. I, I have, I would say I'm more like self-educated mm. and worldly wise than I am academically educated because I've got a degree and that's it. Like, I, and all my friends actually have got like masters and this, that, and the other. And um, apart from a coaching diploma, I did to become a coach. Like, I don't actually have that many qualifications, and that's for me fine because I know that. I, I for me it's books it's books that uh, educate me or, or things like podcasts or you yeah. know things like that it doesn't have to be a formal education to get like you know a few letters beyond your name mm, no it's so true um and just go back to me for the bit about so you discovered it at university through your friends mm-hmm. that right your um, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk me through that because oh, i love that 
totally, totally by accident. So basically, I had this friend called Ches. Shout out to you because, yeah, I owe you all of my understanding of dyslexia to you. And um, she was doing psychology, I think. And um, she, we lived in a house of nine girls. So she said, oh, I've got to do this experiment. Perfect. I'm just going to do it on all of you because like, there's eight of you. And the test was you had to close your eyes, stand up straight, close your eyes. And she gave you, you didn't know it was coming because she came up behind you and gave you a tiny little nudge on your back. Now, what you should be able to do is kind of bend forward and then find your center of alignment again. I didn't. I stepped my foot forward. And she said, oh, oh, this indicates that you might be dyslexic. Because she was just like reading off her research pad thing like, got to do this. Oh. Oh, you might want to get that checked out, mate. You're like, oh, all right then. <laughs> like, literally, that was it. And then it played on my mind, and I thought, well, you know, they're quite good at this kind of thing at uni. There's a lot of like, you know, tutors and help and support. So I went to my tutor and mentioned it, and I said, yeah, we'll hook you up with a test. And you know, however many weeks later, lo and behold, report came back that yeah, if you're, you're quite severely dyslexic, don't know how long you've got this for. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was it was totally by chance, and I think that's really sad actually because. Mm you know they joked oh don't know you got this far well I do because I worked incredibly hard Mm. to to keep up not to get ahead to keep up I've always had to work twice as hard as anyone else just to to get to the same position as you Mm. and I always felt that and that's that's doable but somebody should have picked up on that and mm. I remember my dad um when I told him he went oh yeah we always did think you might be dyslexic and I all want you to say about it um yeah so it's just it, i think it's a great shame like it, that actually got missed for 21 years <laughs> about that point i've done all my exams and stuff so <laughs> yeah i'm surprised I, I didn't go to uni but obviously yeah it's went to college but yeah you're right though i mean i had extra reading classes when i was in primary school so i don't know how i was like eight or something i can't remember now um and yeah, mum kept telling me you have to work a bit harder. Mm, yeah. Um, college, yeah, struggled in my own way because that was hard because it was two it was two years and some of the projects weren't on the software, they were hands-on. So a lot of my designs I created myself through like literally knitted wool or like toothpaste to do like mm. illustrations. And then, you know, so when it came to the software, it was like, you don't know. And it's like, we've used it twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of not surprised, but surprised. But it's interesting you talk about that because did, did you think you felt relief and shame or yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um, okay relief in oh my god i'm not a freak there's a there's a reason for mm-hmm. this um and it's a bit like i don't know if you've ever had something like an illness and you just mm. want to find out what it is and you don't care because once you found out what it is you can find the cure mm. it's a bit like that in a way where it was like oh i'm not a freak i'm not mm. not not stupid not all these other names you've called yourself for ages mm. i just struggle a little bit in learning and i learn like this not like how the majority of people learn because i think there is a ton of benefits to being dyslexic and thinking mm. outside the box for sure mm. and i do accredit a lot of my success down to being dyslexic but the problem yeah. is that because you're paranoid and confident don't understand how to manage it it's going to hold you back so you've got to be really careful so yeah I think it it did bring me that sense of oh oh my god I'm not a freak yes I understand but also anger to be like why didn't this get picked up sooner um versus also that kind of bit of a oh my god 
I can't be successful because I'm dyslexic, which is the total limiting belief because obviously, you know, right. I say like Richard Branson and there's so <laughs> many like successful people out there that are dyslexic. But I think when you don't understand it, and bear in mind I'm going back 15 years ago, mm. I didn't understand it. I was in my early 20s. I'm just coming out of uni into the real world to get a corporate job. And I'm obviously thinking I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to pass an interview because I'm dyslexic. Um, mm. do, I, do I declare that? And I was going to say, do you declare it? You didn't know you didn't tell them. Oh, I didn't because I didn't want that to be held against me because I thought, well, yeah. I've got this far without anyone knowing. Yeah. I'll just crack on. And I didn't tell anyone in the corporate world for years because I was petrified of getting caught out, which then obviously, funny enough, just fueled my imposter syndrome, my depression even worse. But yeah. I, it was, yeah, I just didn't know what to do. You see, I felt more um, relief. I'm still frustrated. I was, yeah, I wouldn't say I was, I was frustrated that I'm 20, pretty much 27 now. Yeah. Uh, and no one told, you know, found out. But I think because I've had such a struggle and yet it, it makes sense now, it felt yeah. relief. What I yeah. found hard is people's react, some people's reactions are so similar to mental health. So look at the mental health side of things. When you said, you know, like other illnesses, I was like, which illness are you referring to that I have? Um, but like in terms of um, in terms of mental health, I felt like I saw there was an issue. I took the uh, action to speak to a therapist. I took the courage to tell people that I'm seeing a therapist, and I got a negative response. How much is that? When's it going to be done? What do you mean, etc. So I was, and everyone says about oh, if you talk out more mental health, it always does the world a good. Doesn't always. I don't mean to be negative, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and likewise with the dyslexia, like people were like, one friend said, oh, it was good or bad. One friend said. Did you know that already? And I was thinking, no, I didn't. <laughs> I kind of, I think it was too positive, but it was just sort of ironic. Um, but yeah, some people yeah. felt very ashamed. Even I think, because I think it is also um, hereditary a little bit as well. Mm. Um, but you know that no one kind of intends to pass it down, but it is passed down. Yeah. And for me, I thought I felt like right, I've finally been diagnosed, um, so we have this answer. And yes, it could be, oh, you know, why didn't you know? And oh, it's passed down. But at least we know now, you know? Like that's, mm. And I think what's hard, again, mental health and, say, a learning disorder, is that if you're not diagnosed, people say, what are you talking about? You're not even diagnosed, love. And then when you are diagnosed, <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then... <laughs> And then if you are diagnosed, it's, oh, everyone's got anxiety, everyone's got this. And it's yeah. like, you can't win. It's like, yeah. like you said, I've got colleagues and friends that don't want to state in their application that they're dyslexic despite knowing the positives. I mean, I found out through my work, so they, they know. Um, so that was a bit different. And, and thank God they did. Like, thank yeah. God they, they put me through the assessment and I found out through them. I'm very grateful. Um, but I, it does make you wonder, do you put it before the interview if you had another job? Do you, do you not mention it at all? Yeah. You know? I it's... found that really, really difficult. Even little things like slightly different. But I've just enrolled in Spanish lessons with the uh, University of Westminster, just like a 10-week course. And on the application, it said, like, do you have a learning disability? So I, I, I noted my dyslexia. And I noticed today that they've sent a little email following up on that. And this sounds really stupid, but I'm like, I can't be off to open the email. So I know that they're trying to give me extra support and help, but there's also a part of me that can't be bothered to take it. And I don't know if that's just because I thought, well, I've cracked on for 34 years without the help and support anyway. What are you going to give me extra? What what, what are you going to do to help me with it? Because there's no exams or anything, uh, which I'm just doing for fun. Um, So it's weird, isn't it? Because there's also that resistance to myself that not just... Do I share it with the interview people? Because that might then 
frown upon me you know I might get some like, bad mark against my name but then I'm also kind of like resistant to myself because I'm like well I've got this far without without any help you know what 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 Westminster gonna do to help me which is ridiculous yeah. it's silly because they're, they're offering their hand to help um, yeah I think there's like a bit of uncertainty maybe but maybe it's the uncertainty that's causing that resistance of like do I put it down in the interview form do I not do I tell mm. work do I not do I yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the answer is that probably wasn't helpful but <laughs> no no I was thinking that it's completely up to you so I I told my team after I was diagnosed yeah. I think people were quite shocked at how quick I have done stuff it's because it's like a long time coming but I yeah. spoke to my boss and yeah he yeah we, we had some great revelations and he was really supportive which was great um, and then I said I think it'd be good to tell the team just because yeah, sometimes the way in which, this is what I'm saying to you about Westminster, um, the way in which people give me tasks or we work together or, you know, those sorts of things can be quite challenging. So mm. after I told the boss and I told the team, you know, I'm not saying a massive shift in my life, but I'm just saying that I think there's an understanding there that if I did ask yeah. them to repeat or I sent them a sum up on an email or they were sort of... Um, not babbling on, but for example, that actually yeah. that can be harder for me. I prefer to get, here's a project, here's the date, this is what I'm expecting of you, off you go. But if you start going in different ways, I, I get too confused. So I think yeah. just the awareness might yeah. help. So I don't know if, if they, that would be help you is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know what you're saying because you've never sort of had that support. It's, yeah, it's almost unusual when you do have it, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not yeah. used to that. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's interesting. So, to my um, questions for you are on these coloured paper that I have. So, I know there's certain tools out there like colourful yeah. paper and things like that. But, you know, and there's some fantastic videos of people like Richard Branson, TED Talks, really interesting one actually about marketing. Don't know it off by heart, but um, she talks about how if you tell somebody, it was in New York, of a location, a colour, and like a word we remember things that way and it was linked to like the brand so like if you go into Sainsbury's for example you look for this first like a colour first and you look for this and then they put the bread and the milk at the end of the shop so you have to walk through it for all the promotions yeah. and it was just so you know there's some great stuff out there but at the same time it's not as known uh, it is a bit of a shameful thing um yeah, I think there's quite enough there, yeah. A bit like mental health, I think we've made a massive yeah. shift. Yes, yeah. But we're not quite there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, okay, interesting. And then you mentioned quite a bit, yeah, so you're, you speak Japanese and Spanish and you're mixed race, is that correct? Yes, so my dad's yes. uh, English, born and bred right. in Kent. Um, my mum is from a tiny little island called Okinawa off the south coast of Japan. Cool. what? That sounds so cool. Okinawa. Okinawa, so, love that. Okinawa, that rings a bell. Yeah, Karate Kid. That's it whole, sounds like a nice Nata. cocktail or something. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like really nice. Um, yeah. So it's, it's where karate was invented. So that's when people were like, nice. oh, I've heard of it. Um, right. Yeah, and um, I, I did not get on with my mum when I was younger. So just right. shunned anything Japanese. I just want to be normal. Um, so it wasn't until my late 20s that I was like, oh, it's, it's actually pretty cool that she's Japanese and can like do all this, you know cool stuff like make sushi and um so then I started to learn teach myself Japanese at the back end of my like 20s mm -hmm. and um Spanish I've kind of just got a love affair with anything Spain South American so I was like it's about time I need to need to learn Spanish properly <laughs> yeah no, absolutely because you I think you mentioned again when we just you know talking that would you say mixed race has been one of the challenges that you've had in the past from people or 
Yeah, and I think it's never been, like I said, direct bullying. Right. It's been more of me, to be honest, and my mindset and... Self-doubt. Self-doubt and uncomfortableness. Mm. And I've, I was bullied once as a kid. That called me, ch- ch- shouted chinky at me. Mm. So me, I was quite a big kid. So I'm only mm. five foot three now. But when I was a kid, I was the tallest girl in my school. I just suddenly stopped growing at 11. So I was I was quite tall as a kid. So this kid shouts chinky at me at like when I was four. And I was like, not having that. So I just marched over to him and smacked him one. Um, never Gosh. got bullied again. No, I'm not advocating violence. But that was my only episode of like some kind of racist slur. Mm, mm. Um, so I've been really, really fortunate that it, I've, I've, you know, no one's kind of like held abuse of me. But it was that feeling, that knowing that like, I don't look the same and I, I don't know why and I can't pinpoint it. And because I don't know if it was, ch- you know, chicken and egg, like did it affect the eating disorder or did the eating disorder affect that? But I really struggled with how I looked. Um, I got diagnosed with body dysmorphia and the, years at the height of my problems in my teenage years I would sit in front of a mirror and just look at myself and pick holes and I would hate mm. my top lip and my eyes and my nose and and I just literally just pick on me for hours in front of this mirror it was, it's just you know when you look back at that and go oh my god Alice why why did you do that to yourself but I always mm. had this feeling without being bullied that I just didn't fit in I didn't belong and you know kids were eating cheese and pickle sandwiches for lunch if we went on a school trip and my mum made me some kind of smelly fish rice thing and kids are like oh what are you eating that's disgusting because that's mm. what kids do um and then as I got older kids were like oh that's really cool can I come around for lunch can I come around for dinner <laughs> yeah of course you can and nowadays everybody loves a bit of sushi and whatever yeah. but it, I just felt different and I just yeah. hated it I, I, I always feel different as well and it's weird isn't it because I, I get the vibe you're like me that you seem quite sociable and you're known for being sociable and all those great things and yet you can be filled with a whole room and feel yes. like the only person in the room yeah. you know everyone goes oh you're a comedian you go to all these big um business events with 400 people in the room with lights of Clive Woodward and you just you know so confident and I'm like yeah but I can literally daze out with anxiety <laughs> yeah. and you've got no idea yeah um yeah, yeah it's tough. That feeling of belonging because it's like, mm-hmm. where do I fit in? Because you can tell by my accent, I was born up, brought up here, mm-hmm. but um, I don't look English, so mm. it, it's like the face doesn't match the voice. And right. if I went to Japan, they can tell that I'm not Japanese. Mm. Because I, my mum's not actually Japanese, she's Okinawan, and she, she even my mum don't look Japanese. But obviously my accent, my Japanese accent is horrendous. <laughs> it's <just laughs> like a cockney Japanese twang. So you know, they know that I'm not native there as well. So it's like, oh, where, where, you know, how do you, how do you pitch yourself? You know, what am I? And it just, it just caused me a lot of confusion as a kid. Yeah, and you said then a minute ago that you weren't that close to your mum at the time. Mm. Um, and I find that quite draining that, you cannot fit in in the corporate world because, say, learning style or just, you know, people work differently. It's the one place you have to get well with anyone despite what you think, etc. And then if you don't get well with your family, then you've had a whole day of not belonging. Yeah. You know, I'm quite, you know, no negativity on my family, but I am more like my dad's side. So I'm more emotional. I'm more just creative yeah. and sensitive, whatever you want to put it. Um, so that, <laughs> yeah. 
so that alone makes me quite different to them yeah. and then I'm quite different in many other ways so it's not necessarily a negative thing but it's certainly something I pick up on and mm. I, yeah I find it quite draining all day particularly when people yeah then assume that you're all good and since doing the comedy I get it I get what people don't understand and and a very um what's the word yeah admire me for getting up on the stage because I do comedy my, all my college friends used to say to me how come you can do comedy but you used to get so nervous about parking your car at college well that's because there was one space I wasn't good at driving um and that is and you can't put comedy with driving you can't put driving with flying or flying with you know I might find certain tasks much harder or or easier than you and 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 vice versa so you sort of people go oh she can do that or she's confident she's fine and it's like I'm actually dying inside but cool you know I always say that confidence isn't a personality trait because that's how we do it oh Tiffany she's so confident no Mm. it's not a personality trait is situational and transferable and it depends on like I'm the same I I, I hate driving like put me behind the wheel I'm a nervous wreck I hate driving put me in a room full of 100 people I will quite happily just talk and talk but a lot of people hate public speaking it's Mm. it's totally situational confidence it's yeah yeah, so I totally get your example and then just leading on from yeah the the mixed race things we were talking about mental health um, and can I just say so yeah you I saw I think your name on my therapist Instagram story yeah um, and then you cheekily slipped into my DMs and um, <laughs> and you left me voice notes saying that you'd be happy to talk about dyslexia and mental health and then you went on to say eating disorders self harm suicidal thoughts etc and I just thought we didn't know each other and people find it hard to speak up in general and yet you had the courage to leave me voice notes and I just thought she's full of energy and kudos to you do you know what I mean and don't get me wrong like obviously she did all her mental health issues <laughs> yeah which don't get me wrong I'm sure if we hadn't had the, the connection of Charlotte and yeah. you know all of that then you obviously felt safe enough to do so yeah. and then I obviously did the voice note back to you but you know it's interesting is it some people can't even like you say put dyslexia on their on their interview form mm. or speak about mental health in person but you were open enough to do that um and yet you've mentioned some of the things like eating disorders already can you talk us through some of the the sort of challenges you have had with some mental health and disorders as it were yeah yeah and the reason why just to add the context like why i'm so passionate about talking about it now i hid this for 10 years for Mm. 10 years i didn't tell anybody not even my parents my boyfriend at the time like no one and it all it did was just consume me from the inside and I think mm. the day that I it was the 10th of July 2010 and I don't know why what triggered it but I came downstairs and just told my mum and dad everything and they were a bit like whoa what mm. but that was like the start of my recovery journey and like my release because it's like right well the secret's out um mm. which is why now I'm so passionate about talking about it so openly even to strangers in their DMs because I just <laughs> think we some we, we need to start breaking it down and mm. now I don't feel tied to corporate I am a yeah. boss I run my own business I'm my own brand etc etc I don't feel as scared now talking about it so sometimes I, I still obviously am nervous because mm-hmm. you don't know what reaction you're going to get from people but I kind of also feel if I can save one person from going through what I went through or help one person who's going through what I went through then for me it, it, it's worth talking about it so I just want to share that I've never been always open about it I've never oh, been yeah, open. Yeah. It, was, it was a dirty secret for like a decade um <laughs> dirty yeah. secret. Well, I just know it felt like because I yeah. like saying like people would see me as this confident happy bubbly party girl whereas inside mm. I was like self-harming and self-hating and making myself sick and just yeah and I don't know what kind of 
again, chicken and egg, what, what put what first? But I think mm. it was maybe the combination of not getting on with my mum, language mm. barrier, cultural differences, etc. You know, we, her English wasn't amazing, so we got the cult, we got barriers with my mum growing up. You got you know fifteen year old girl hormones flying about the place, not mm-hmm. feeling like you fit in and what you're doing with your life. Just probably we didn't even know have social media back then, but just you know looking in magazines, going oh her boobs are bigger, her waist is slimmer, she's taller, etc. Um, comparison, not not enjoying me or liking me. I can honestly say like I hated myself, mm. and I think just it just all comes together. And then combine that with a history of mental health issues in my family. Yeah, it just and I think it was just a melting pot of everything. And then yeah, fifteen was like my low low point my 15 years old was like my lowest of low where I was like I don't actually be want to be on this planet anymore because I can't see a way out like I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel Mm. um and it's just easier just to not be here like that that was kind of like my thinking it was just it's just easier not to do anything anymore um Mm. and again I think mental health is so inextricably linked you can't just pigeonhole stuff so did the dyslexia and not knowing about it, getting labelled as troublemaker, struggling at school, did that make the depression harder or did the depression make the dyslexia harder? I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you ever will, but it, it is all linked and tied together. And then the more depressed I got, the more I hated on my body, the more I hated on my body, the more it was that, oh, when I have this, then I'll be happy. So it's like, when I'm eight stone, mm-hmm. I'll be happy. Get to eight stone. I'm the old I'm not happy oh well maybe it needs to be seven stone eight and then you get to seven stone eight and I think I dropped down to like seven stone three and I remember thinking oh well maybe it's seven stone that I need to be and by this point I was hardly eating anything and bombing five times a day and collapsing left right and center so it was like no maybe that's not the answer <laughs> um mm. but again like everything just ties into everything else and just you, but you can't see clearly because you're depressed or you're yeah it just kind of like amalgamated together yeah it's funny you said about how yeah you're more open now in terms of the instagram um because you know i do this podcast and i panic every time if i've said something that's going to offend somebody or how i've worded it but then people say to me like charlotte um if you're not breaking taboos then what's the point of the podcast you know like obviously you've got to have respect (laughs) but you know i am here for a reason i hope it does help people and i think people know we're all human sometimes i don't word it or I've, i've said something or someone not yeah. intending to um but yeah so that that's uh, that's sort of my take on that as well and yeah, yeah you're absolutely right about, about being linked because you've got the family inheritance you've got your own experience and backgrounds upbringing you know whether it be school and you know you could be you could have gone to a really rich school and had really affluent parents but you could have something else that was traumatic in your life you know and there's so much that you say that sort of links it together mm um so when you yeah like notice these things and you like 15 you spoke up about it did you i think you said you were diagnosed with body dysmorphia did you speak to someone then did you see somebody so 15 was like the start and it wasn't mm-hmm. until i was 24 that i it's about 10 years. My, 10 years that I had my like i cannot do this anymore and that was my like breakdown to tell mm. my parents what was going on but in that period, in that 10-year period, I had sought help because I knew this wasn't how I wanted to be. So I had had a lot of counselling, CBT, um, gone to the doctors, obviously mm. um, things like didn't have any periods. So we'd obviously gone to the doctors about that. So there was little things that I had been trying to do, but also because I hadn't been honest about what was really going on, 
was there's only so much you can do if you're not being honest with yourself about the, the extent to your issue. So yeah. it wasn't until that day, that 10th of July, 2010, that I'd come clean to my parents. Mm. Then the real recovery happened because then I could be really honest about stuff and hold myself accountable. So I remember going for a dinner quite soon after that with my dad and we went mm. to this pizza place in, um, in London. And I said to my dad, I was like, I don't want to throw this dinner up. I don't want to throw this pizza up. So mm. if I go to the toilet, you've got to check my hands. And I gave him all the warnings, all the signs, like check my hand for teeth marks, check this, check that. And I had to be really upfront about all that. Um, mm. But how can you be upfront with someone with that if you're not being truthful to yourself and keeping that secret that I'm bulimic? Yeah. Um, so those 10 years, I wouldn't say it was like wasted effort because there'd be any time, any time you do therapy, counselling, personal development, anything like that is going to take you a step forward. Mm. Um, but it, it didn't do what it needed to do in that first 10 years because I wasn't really being truthful about it to myself. Yeah, when I said earlier about, like, even say, dyslexia, mental things uh, linking back to your day-to-day life and you just spoke then about the pizza... I'm not as um, aware of eating disorder. I think I know a few family and friends that, that deal with it, but it wasn't till I watched Freddie Flintoff's um, documentary. Mm. And then they've also shown it a bit in Princess Diana um, in the Queen Netflix series, um, where you can see, yeah, like Freddie would plan when he was going to throw up and, and he had to sort of look at the toilet and figure it out. And, you know, when you just hear him talk about, it makes sense. It makes sense. He has to plan these things. And he did that, you know, sort of did yeah. these things, but you, I don't think people fully understand. Yeah. Like say getting in a car and driving or writing a letter for the post, you know, it influences so much. of yeah. And again, that is draining. That is so yeah. draining to plan yeah. all that and, and to deal oh with God. it. Yeah. I remember yeah. getting to about, Oh, mid 20s I don't know I'm 34 now so it's like it feels like a decade like a lifetime ago I'm like how old was I but I remember getting to about mid 20s and from the outside I think I probably look like ticking every box I got mm. engaged at 24 I got engaged at 24 I traveled the world I was the first in my family to go to uni and I had a really good corporate career job so mm. probably tick 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 living with my best friends living living it up in London it's like all the ticks um but it, it what people see on the outside isn't what you're experiencing so like you say those silly little things like writing an address on an envelope or me planning my next toilet trip you know and when yeah. i'm gonna be sick and stuff like it's consuming and i remember thinking once in a meeting at work clearly i was not paying attention to the meeting um but i remember thinking if i've got this far in life with all these things holding me back mm-hmm. just imagine what i could achieve if i ditched these problems like and that's yeah. how i suddenly saw it i was like, i'm carrying these massive heavy bags around with me mm. I've spent God knows how many hours in counselling, crying, with my head down the toilet. Just imagine if I dedicated those hours to something else. (laughs) And that's like, I think that as well spurred me on to like this, obviously, if people look at my coaching, they know that I'm a bit of a time management geek and that's why I specialise now in my coaching. But I think that was part of my catalyst Mm. because it was like, oh my God, I'm not using my time properly here. Like what a, to, to be frank what a bloody waste of time like vomiting yeah. <laughs> and being sick and crying like sort it out it's like look how far you could come if you didn't do that anymore and that for me was like a bit of a wake-up call I think um because yeah, yeah like your analogy about the bags <laughs> yeah no it's consuming um 
And it's interesting you talk about not wanting to be here anymore because I've never had thoughts of actually taking my own life but I've certainly had those thoughts of like you said of how much longer can I do this I feel like giving up I'm exhausted from all this thinking yeah. and you know yeah just draining of not fitting in and, and struggling at school whatever um so I've definitely felt like because everyone I hear a lot of people sadly when because obviously we've and I'm going to use celebrities as an example because it's sort of everyone like knows of it but mm. when somebody takes their own life I hear a lot of um they're selfish how could they they've got a family and all those those things and I, and I get that angle absolutely do um but i don't think they quite grasp that they're at such a low point that they don't that they can't even think about that no. side of things you know they're so yeah. fed up and and when i say this next bit i, I don't mean this um yeah in, in like a non-synthetic way but when you said about you know, like, don't want to waste your time and stuff um and you said something else that made me think this but when I struggled, I was like, yeah, I really don't mean this in an unkind way because some people know people that are in this statistic, but I didn't want to be another statistic that had yeah. given up. I didn't want to be yeah. in prison. I didn't want to be, you know, not yeah. if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So I wanted to be proactive. I wanted to do something about it despite all the shame. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly also didn't want to be somebody saying, oh, Tiff was so confident. Or Alice is so confident and she's given up now and she's gone down a dark road or she's mm. not here now. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted yeah. to be, Tiff's done something about it. Tiff's trying to help. You know, like with dyslexia, or like, yeah, like you, I'm frustrated that no one noticed it. But all I want to do now is stop other people from going through the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, I want to do something useful with it. Uh, and that's how I felt about the therapy. And it's funny because... Yeah, I've been going for therapy quite a few years now, and I always feel quite ashamed by that because it's been so long. But actually, Charlotte, fine enough, shared a post the other day where it said the longer you, you've been, actually can often be a positive thing rather than sort of getting in and getting out, as it were. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I first started, yeah, it was how much does it cost? When's it going to be finished? What is it? You know, you'll be fine. Go have a bath, eat some, you know, that sort of stuff. But actually, and I've said this in a previous podcast episode, that now a lot of my friends and family get sadly going through a lot of big things, mm. you know, miscarriages or, you know, difficult jobs, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And um, I think they're starting to see why people, you know, do, do they invest in their personal development. And I think they actually, some, you know, a lot of people do sort of see me now as a personal development person. You know, they, they know that I go to entrepreneurial events. They know that I have a therapist etc and I think they sort of look up to that now but yeah, yeah when it first started and I still feel it now there's a lot of shame the podcast helps because yeah. it sort of puts the feelers out there so I'll say what it is to booze and then people sort of respond yeah um but yeah I feel I still to stay feel very shamed um but and not it, it, but then that frustrates me as well because yeah Charlotte is like gold dust like yeah she's brilliant as a therapist and i'm so fortunate to have her and i do see more of a life coach now if i'm honest as well so i have mm. been through a journey but yeah like you yeah, i put all the hours in and all that development i very much reflect on things so i get quite annoyed when people don't you know you know sort of accept it and appreciate it and like do you know what i mean i just but i think i'm starting to see a shift now which is good yeah yeah, and that's yeah. what it is really. Like personal development could be like me addicted to books, but it could also be therapy. It could also be CBT, NLP, coaching. There's mm -hmm. just so many forms of it, and it's it's always going to help you. Um, and I just think, if anything, more more of us need to do it. Do it, and I think the more that we do do it, the better. I've actually even got clients that have. Uh, uh, 
have a bit of a stigma around coaching. They don't want anyone to know that they're having coaching mm. um, because there is just stigma around getting help. I don't know if that's a British cultural thing or woman thing or I don't know, but I, there is definitely, I feel, still a stigma around getting help in whatever form that might be, therapy, coaching, reading books, whatever. I think yeah. it's still, like even I, even 20 years ago, self-help books were like, oh, you're reading self-help books. Yeah. Um, so I just think there is a bit of a stigma in, in asking for help, but life is a bit hard sometimes yeah literally Um, so you know we need to do what we can to tall up and be ready for it if you always say to me that artists get in coloring book for a christmas present or whatever like oh that stuff and now everyone like you say is into it and i think as well like sometimes i think like duh like in a sense of (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do it it's good for me if you look at my upbringing so my dad was an alcoholic which just saying that alone clearly my childhood was not you know there was i must admit despite that i had a very good childhood particularly yeah like when dad was sober brilliant when he wasn't sober not so great mum's was brilliant so i had a great childhood but i definitely witnessed things i shouldn't have and i was only saying the other day like you know, we all look up to our, you know, our teachers, our, our parents, and all that's only natural. Mm. But also, at a time when you're a kid, a bit like you were saying earlier, actually, as a kid, you want to feel safe, secure, connected, loved, all those great things. And some of those things weren't there because of things like that. So you put that coupled with a bloody scary world, because yet I'm always flight and fight, fight and flight mode, because I think it does link a bit to my childhood, because a lot of the time the worst did happen. Yeah. So people say to me now, you're always planning. You're always like, yeah, because I'm trying to preempt, you know, if I don't like driving, I'm going to plan my journey because I don't want it to go bad. Yeah. And it's not good to think the worst, not good to overthink. And I have to be aware of all those things. But there is a reason behind that. And I don't know why I massively like you have self doubt and confidence, but I remember having it so young. I remember this memory so well, but you had like reading books took to school. Mm. I was very young and I forgot my reading book. And I did this a lot in later in school as well, where if I'd forgot something, PE kit, whatever, I felt like I was going to get like murdered. <laughs> like I felt like I was the worst child the in the world, world. Yeah. end of the world. And to think that you know, people say to me, why don't you, why don't you lack confidence now? And there's probably more, Re- uh, later reasons like all the comments I've had but you know mm. I remember when I was very young for some reason feeling like you know you're a disgrace because you forgot your reading book and I knew the worst case would be detention or or a comment from the teacher or a call to mum and obviously those things were scaring your kid anyway but I definitely have had something all my life um, mm. but I sort of think yeah, I have been to therapy because therapy, guess what? I lost my dad. Like, that's a massive role model situation mm. going on there. Um, and yeah, just in general, the love and connection, etc. But then, yeah, like you said, life is tough. Hormones, mm. career, yeah. you know, so it, it's, it's an interesting one. Okay, what should I... Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about... Because you've volunteered for Mind, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I've done quite a bit of um, stuff with them, like some free trainings. And um, I was a trustee as well for one of their local boards for about six years. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's nice when you can sort of give something back, as it were, and and support them. That was exactly my thing. I I had such good experience with Mind in my local area. Okay. Mind in Dartford. I'm from Gravesend. Had such good experience with them from when I was um, about 19, um, living at home and kind of half uni, half not. And so you you, you kind of bit, you know, you're in uni for, I was in uni in Sheffield for a bit and then you'd come home for like two months and go again. And so I was kind of bit all over the show anyway. And um, yeah, my mind in Dartford were just 
brilliant and really okay. helped me with my mental health. The counsellor there was amazing. Obviously, I had no money, so I only had to pay like a minimal fee. I think it was like a fiver. Um, uh-huh. They were just brilliant. And I just remember saying, when I'm better, I I will do something to look like contribute back to this amazing charity. So, yeah, yeah it does feel really good to, to now be able to do that and be yeah. in that position where I can. That's great. So we've spoken a lot about life being hard, um, and obviously we've had um, we've had a difficult year with the pandemic, and yet your life took a very unexpected turn with regards to your husband. Do you mind talking a bit about yeah. that? Because again, you're very open about that as well. Yeah. So to be honest, I don't know what is happening. So if anyone's mm. listening, thinking there's a happy ending to the story, I don't know. Um, mm. But yeah, I, um, in end of September, he basically just said he needed to leave for six months Mm. and he just needed to go find himself he didn't know what made him happy and that was a massive shock to the system I was Mm. not expecting that I think maybe subconsciously I'd always been expecting it because um I kind of thought he might struggle leaving the military um we got married really young and we kind of joked about him having like a midlife crisis at 40 um Mm. so maybe subconsciously I did know something but yeah not what I was expecting um so yeah just absolutely floor rug ripped under from under me I just did not see it coming so on top of what was 2020 was a very unexpected year anyway it just for me ended in like the world's most unexpected ways even more yeah it's weird isn't it when some like you said subconsciously you can know something when you actually hear those words yeah it's quite different Um, and it feels really silly as well because I always thought you know sometimes when you hear stories where the couples when we haven't split up um we don't know where we're going but we we haven't like officially split up or anything so again it's all very in the air Mm. but he I, I remember hearing about a couple that split up once. I thought, oh, gosh, she didn't know it was coming. How stupid of her. Mm. And then now I'm that girl. And I was like, oh, you don't always know what's going on behind closed doors, not even your own closed doors. Um, That's so a that great saying. Like, oh. But then again, my parents didn't know I was depressed, bulimic and self-harming for 10 years. So, mm. and I was under their roof. Yeah. So, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors because people don't tell you. Yeah, that take on it behind. Yeah, because I always talk relationships, you don't know what happens behind closed doors. The way you just said your own closed door, and you're absolutely right. People don't know what goes on with your friends, family, and your other halves, yeah. even when you think you know. Yeah, I, I can't tell what's going on in other people's heads no. or anything. So, yeah, a bit, bit unexpected. <laughs> yeah, and in a pandemic. So do you think, I'm guessing correct me if I'm wrong that probably knocked you for the worst in this year but also probably gave you a, a new energy in another sense I don't know how did that yeah definitely I'm, I am a very determined person and I think that probably mm. does come down from the dyslexia and everything that I've ever been through because it's like well I'm still standing I'm still here um, mm. and I will crawl to the finish line if I have to but I won't stop I won't give up so I think in one respect it's made me more determined than ever um but also because I don't know what the future holds for me, him or us together or not together. I really just, I do not know. And for someone who's such a planner, yeah. that's a very weird feeling. So the only thing you can do when you don't have control of an outcome or a situation is control the things you do have control over, i.e. your input. So the only yeah. thing that I can control in this 2020, 2021 pandemic, my personal life situation is just control the things I can control, i.e 
my input, my energy, my motivation, my habits, my thoughts, what I want to do, make yeah. the plans around that and focus on that because I don't have control around anything else, no one else. That's the hard thing this year, isn't it, is that we literally don't know. And, and I was saying recently yeah. that even if sometimes you say, say we get to go for more walks or we get to go in people's homes, it could change again if the rules change. And it's yeah. even you think things are a bit settled, they're not quite. And I think as well... Yeah. We're all linked in this because we're all going through it, but then we all have different situations of our jobs and our homes that we've all taken a hit differently. Um, so that can be very hard. Well, yeah, I hope he's, you know, as well as he can be and that that sort of resolves itself. Um, and yeah, you know, again, kudos to you for sort of being so open about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are in a new year and I looked at your, I'm smiling because I looked at your blog and I've been yeah around the entrepreneur coaching world as well, and I loved your blog. Why smart goals are stupid? <laughs> Please expand because this is interesting. <laughs> so, as we've established, I'm not a corporate girl, and obviously, when you're in corporate, you get told to set smart goals, specific, measurable, actionable, that kind of thing. And I think there's merit in that, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but if that typical goal setting standard worked more people would be reaching their goals (laughs) more people would be yeah smashing what they said they're gonna do um and they're not and it it, there's got to be some kind of flaw going on in that so for me there's so many so many flaws about smart goals but just a few are for example one it doesn't connect to the bigger picture it mm. doesn't connect to your why. It doesn't connect to your heart. It doesn't connect to your, why am I getting my butt out of bed every morning for this? Mm. It also is, and if you're a perfectionist or a nothing type person like me, if you don't hit bang on your specific goal, you're a failure. That's how like all nothing perfectionists interpret it. So mm. say your goal was, and I use a number because it's, it's tangible, it's easier with financial things. Like say your goal was to, to, to save £12,000 in a year, £1,000 a month. Mm. If you got to the end of the year and you saved 11000 I would be like, oh, that's amazing, well done, that's, that's pretty much your goal. But the perfectionist or nothing type person is going to go, no, I didn't reach my goal, what a failure, I'm useless, and that's just going to make things mm. worse. So I'm like, well, actually... Have have something specific, but in a range. So you Mm. can maybe then also stretch yourself. So your goal might be like 10 to 13,000 pounds a year. So there's just Mm. so many fundamental flaws, I think, to smart goals. And we just get it drilled in us, especially at work in the corporate environment, that this is the way to set goals. And I just don't think it is because, as I say, majority of people aren't reaching their goals. So something's Mm. not right. Yeah, what you said was quite simple, but actually speaks volumes because you're right. It, it, it's a bit like New Year's resolutions. If it was working, it would be working. And you see people like um, James Clear, etc., that are sort of using goals, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, and you're right about, because I had a lot of KPIs at one job and it was tough because sometimes there'd be an external reason or a few reasons as to why you didn't get that exact target, but it didn't mean that you weren't putting effort in and that, you know, yeah. There, you know, there were some other valid reasons, but sometimes, yeah, you might just be one out and it could be because somebody just didn't want to apply to that program that day. Or, yeah. you know, sometimes I forget about things like payday and that, you know, so many things influence us in yeah. buying the next thing or whatever. And yet then I just sort of feel a bit devalued about, oh, you know, I'm not doing a good enough job. And with the bigger picture, yeah, in my current job yeah. and, and other big brands, you get told that the sales targets this. 
but what we actually should be told a bit more is you know the end you know the why so that's why we need to do this at least yeah. to that but instead yeah. you just see it make this do this yeah. go <laughs> yeah and sometimes your goals feed into other goals so for yeah. example i've not put any travel goals down for the first year ever mm. down because pandemic yeah. and I'm like, well, what can I do instead then? Hence why I'm mm. learning Spanish, because one of my ultimate goals is to travel South America. So it's like, well, right. my goal of learning Spanish is going to help with my ultimate goal one day to go to South America. But I have no control over the pandemic and flights. Like so it's like, mm. what can I do to... So it's a mini goal to a main goal. And it, and I was talking to a client about this who um, all his goals were very interconnected. You know, he wanted to get fit. He wanted a home gym. But, but in order to do that, he needed to get the garage sorted so that he can convert that into a home gym. So one of his mini goals is, convert, is sorting out the garage first. I mean, mm. that's another thing with smart goals. It doesn't break it down into like its core components and show how they link together because mm. you – you can't be motivated all the time, let's be honest. You're not going to wake up every single day motivated. So you've, you've got to see the bigger picture of how everything's linking together and breaking it down to something bite-sized, not just something huge, because you're, you're just not going to be inclined to do it. No, yeah, you're spot on. And I mean, also, we're obviously still going to be working from home quite a few of us for quite some time. And you've got a book yeah. titled How to Work From Home While Staying Productive, Healthy and More Importantly, Sane. Yeah. Um, yeah, how did that come about? And like, you know, do you think that would be like a useful tool to people? And so basically, I wrote that in March 2020 at the, well, maybe April 2020, um, at the start of the original lockdown because i've been working from home for years so i saw yes. all this stuff on social media where people were like freaking out about mm. oh my god what do i do how do i do it so i just thought well if i can just condense my knowledge into some bite-sized 50 tips um just a yeah. real quick easy i think you probably read it in an hour um mm. just some quick handy tips and also what are the three biggest struggles when we work from home it's being productive mm. It's yeah. staying healthy because we're chained to our desk all day and it's it's keeping our sanity. So that's why it focuses um, on those things. So, yeah, it was my, I suppose, response to working from home. And a lot of people obviously never have done that before mm. or if they had not with a partner and kids and everything else. So, yeah, um, yeah that yeah. It came about in the first lockdown. Yeah, I went from home a little bit my last job, sometimes three days a week. Um, but like you say, it's different now because of, you know, kids and your husband yeah. and all that. And also we've been doing it for a year and we don't quite know when we're going to be going back to the yeah. office. So it's it's a bit different. I do think, you know, my preference would be to be back in the office like half the week. I think you can do it just in two days in the office. But I think if you do three days, you just get more of those conversations like yeah. the ball rolling. Um, but yeah, I don't know if we'll be back five days a week. But yeah, I've done it before. But it's still, like you say, it's tough when, particularly in the winter, everyone keeps saying about the winter, that I love winter, but you, you don't go for many walks and stuff mm. because it's so cold. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that'll be really helpful, actually. I think that's on Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's just the Kindle you can one. Just get yeah. Okay. And then, so a question I ask at the end to everyone um, it's not Japanese or Spanish, but if you eat a scone or a scone, do you eat it the Devon or the Cornish way, if you know what I'm referring to? Oh, do you know what? I always get confused, but what I do is I have a clotted, I put the clotted cream and then the jam. I don't know which way. Yeah, so you're the is. Devon way, like me, yeah. but my surname is Cornish, so it's, I haven't had any hate mail yet. I'm sure it's oh, due to come, oh, but yeah, come, it's yeah. the Devon way. It's, it's, it's just, my reasoning for this, there's logic Go. behind this. My reason behind this, <laughs> I told you that I'm that, that dyslexic kid that's like, why? Why? <laughs> it's because it, it, the clotted cream is so thick to spread 
Mm. That's got to be your foundation. That's 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 got to be your foundation, and then you dollop the jam on. Because mm-hmm. if you do jam first, and then you put the cream on, when you spread the cream, you just get the jam intertwined with the cream. That's and what I've it's, said. It's all yeah. Like and messy. No, keep it keep it clean. The cream, and then the. We're talking about this. Keep I'm it actually, clean. I'm lactose intolerant, so I should not be eating chocolate cream anyway. So I love the. I, I've got such passion about this. I shouldn't be eating them anyway. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. I, I, some people say that the jam is quite like sticky, so that's their foundation. But no, I agree with you. It just swells together in a pinkness. It's sticky, but it's not. It's the density. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. That was brilliant. Um, this has been a lovely conversation. I'm sure there'll be many more. Uh, yeah, I just think you're you're full of energy. You're you know you're humble, down to earth, uh, and it's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, I've, I've I've enjoyed every single minute. So thank you so much for having me. No problem. And yeah, I will share all your details in in episode notes. So go check out Alice. She's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm sure I'll catch you soon on the Instagram. Yeah. Tip into the DMs. <laughs> As you could probably tell, I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Alice. Be sure to find Alice online and what she's all about within the podcast episode notes. It was so nice to find a common ground about dyslexia through an online connection. I hope to raise more awareness around dyslexia because as you have heard today, it has an enormous impact on our lives and yet we seem so behind on noticing the symptoms, learning that we learn differently and encouraging those with dyslexia to reach their full potential. As always, please reach out if you'd found this episode helpful or simply to say hello. Before I go, can I ask you a favour? Could you please share the podcast with just one person you think could benefit from it? It's a small gesture, but it means a lot and could mean so much more to the person you recommend it to. Before I go, I will end with the gold is to laugh forever with someone you take serious, unknown. <laughs>